television shows, the tremendous amount of records that he sold. I mean, he was by far the biggest selling, you know, Western mm -hmm. record star ever. And then the Christmas thing was just stratospheric. Yeah. That he outsold Roy Rogers and the Son to the Pioneers and everybody else in the Western field by time and time and time again. Uh, you know, Roy was a good singer and a good yodeler, and so never had the hit records that Autry had. And so consequently, he just attacked it from all sides. If people didn't particularly be movie fans or TV fans, but they loved his records, they're going to pay their money and come out and hear him sing. Mm -hmm. If you love the horses and so forth, they had the horse acting just perfect, you know, with the two horses, the big champion, the little champion, performing on stage. And he was a, just a master working with those horses who had been trained by excellent trainers. Well, it was as good as it gets. I mean, he gave the... He gave everybody a Kellogg's variety pack, and when you walked away from a Gene Autry show, you had been entertained. And you know, it was kind of an interesting thing. I emceed the Johnny Cash show for a lot of years, so I was the first one on stage. Usually a local disc jockey would introduce me, and I'd come out and do about 20 minutes as a singer, and then I'd put the guitar away, and I would emcee the rest of the show. And then the back half of the show would feature pretty much held for the last hour for Johnny, no matter who else was on the show. Later on, that changed, and he would start introducing me at the second half of the show. But the very first person that you saw on stage on a Gene Autry show, as the curtains opened, was Gene Autry. And he emceed the show. And he would say, Hi, folks, my name is Gene Autry, and I hope that you're going to have a wonderful afternoon or evening. No ego, no big announcement. Didn't have me or anybody else saying, Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, America's favorite cowboy. Let's please make him welcome here in Milwaukee. Gene Autry. None of that. He just stood there and said, Hello, oh, folks, my name is Gene Autry, and I hope you're going to have a good time. And, of course, they did. And well, we did. did. Now, he had, I, I, I need to um, talk with you about Johnny Cash and, and so many of the other things that you've been involved with as well. But you're, you're giving me so much new information about Gene Autry, I almost don't want to leave. <laughs> well, the sad thing about it, Patricia, we're in an era now where if, now Gene Autry is on television every week on the Encore Western Channel, if you, as uh -huh. I said, if you have the cable or the satellites or the Dish Network or whatever, um, and has continued that for a lot of years on that network. So people are able to sit down with their kids and grandkids and sometimes great-grandkids and say, this is the guy that I loved so much when I was a kid. This is Gene Autry. And you can kind of get an idea. But there's a whole other group of young people today who, when they hear the name Gene Autry, think, oh, yeah, he's that rich cowboy that owned the California Angels baseball team. That's basically all they know about him. So that is kind of sad in a way that something of that great career has gone by the by with some of the public today because he was immensely wealthy and he did so many charitable things that he wouldn't even allow me to talk about when we were working with him and all like that. But the formation of something which is a great love of his, the baseball team, because he was a, a frustrated baseball player and if he couldn't play major league ball, he, by golly, he was going to own a team and he did. And eventually, they said they did win the World Series. But... To have that as the thing that you're remembered for is kind of sad in that I know that there was so much more, and a lot of other people did too. That's not the reason we loved Gene Autry in the beginning, because he he founded a, a winning baseball team, mm -hmm. and he was the rich cowboy. How did he get rich? Well, he got rich by being Gene Autry, by, and then parlaying the, the funds that he accumulated through the years as Gene Autry yeah. into all these business enterprises. So he was a highly successful entertainer and a highly successful businessman. And combined the two to what I call the eternal fame. But in in some people's eyes, as they, the media will do, and forget the people that put you there, they will say, yeah, 
it's uh, the, the Angels baseball team. Well, they're doing great this year, or they're lousy this year. By the way, that's the team that Gene Autry founded. You know, that's some, in some cases, that's the only thing that people know about Gene, was he, uh -huh. he owned a baseball team. When the movie, which was quite wonderful, Angels in the Outfield came out, the man who paid my way into the Screen Actors Guild, when I didn't have the $200 to join, Ben Johnson played the part of Gene Autry in that movie. Now, he didn't work under the name of Gene Autry, but he was a, a movie cowboy who owned the California Angels baseball team. Wonderful family movie. Picture made a lot of money. Great, great movie to watch on TV to this day. But Gene Autry was portrayed by another great friend of mine, the great Ben Johnson from Pawhuska, Oklahoma, who saw to it that I got in the Screen Actors Guild and he was my sponsor as well as the guy that paid my way in there. So, you know, who gets <laughs> who gets an Academy Award winner to pay your way in the Screen Actors Guild? <laughs> you know, Johnson won the Academy Award for the last picture show. Yeah. But previous to that, when he was just doing westerns and so forth, and was this great rodeo cowboy on top of that, there was another great part of my life. So it all just boiled down to where I have been the luckiest guy that ever walked on this planet, believe me. Well, we are so fortunate to have you. We consider ourselves lucky. We're talking with Johnny Western, who wrote and sang the Ballad of Paladin, if you were with us at the beginning of the show, and that's his signature song. But by golly, you're missing an awful lot if you're not paying attention to the rest of the story here. You can call us and ask some questions or make some comments and say hi to Johnny. 714-545-2071, 714-545-2071, and I'm not kidding, we really are lucky that you're spending so much time with us tonight, this is just wonderful. Well, I'm having a very, very good time, Patricia, and we talked the other day, kind of setting this up, just a little bit of an idea of what's, what's going to happen tonight, uh -huh. and I want to say a very special hello and good evening to Folks out there, and you told me that, that you hear from some of them quite regularly, who are not sighted. I, I guess the old-fashioned saying is they're blind, mm -hmm. but they're not sighted. And they love this Internet conversation type thing and bringing some of these nostalgic memories back that their memory banks, bank certainly has retained through the years. And in some small way, I hope that maybe these words between you and I have brought back a memory or two that might have meant something in their lives. And I do want to say hi to all those folks, and thank you for tuning in. I'm happy they're there, too, because, boy, are they getting a treat tonight. I, w I want to ask one question that relates to both uh, Gene Autry and Johnny Cash, because it's a tour question. And then perhaps we could hop in and talk about Johnny Cash for a little bit. When you were out touring, did families ever go along? Not as a regular thing, because it's so devastatingly hard. People don't realize how hard it is, especially if you're doing one-nighters. Now, I did a lot of one-nighters with Gene. The things I talked about with Toronto and, and Chicago were the anomaly of that. 14 days in Toronto and 10 days in Chicago. We did some two- and three-nighters, but a lot of them were just strictly one-nighters. Like the, the State Fair in Louisville, Kentucky, the Kentucky State Fair. Mm -hmm. uh, Buck Lake Ranch in Angola, Indiana on a Sunday where Gene broke the all-time record with 26,000 people. 10,000 more people than had ever been there for a show before. And they were famous for their outdoor shows there. Things like that. And they were very, very difficult for families to travel. My kids were very, very young. In fact, I had one at the time, the daughter that I came to California with. And... You know, being very, very young like that, she couldn't travel. My wife couldn't travel on the road with me. There really weren't facilities 
with the bus situation or this big station wagons we traveled in or flying on Gene's plane to haul a family around. Uh -huh. So you've had long, long, long days and weeks and so forth of being on the road and the telephone was your connection. You just couldn't pop on home any time that you felt lonesome. You just had to kind of cure that with a phone call and lots of letters, but very difficult to travel. You don't realize that today, a wonderful friend of mine, Martina McBride, who is from the great state of Kansas, and I've known her since she was a teenager, travels on the $500,000 bus and has always taken her three girls along with her husband, John McBride, who's done the lights and sound on not only her show, but Garth Brooks' show for years. They kept their family on the road and did some homeschooling and things like that. It's an entirely different ballgame since they've had these huge, massive uh, bus and truck shows on the road to do that. Yeah. Realize we did it all on two-lane highways. There were very few interstates, and we thought 50 miles of interstate was wonderful when we were on the road. And we Most did. everything was state roads, you know, and, and two-lane highways. And we just didn't have the room to take anybody but the, the most essential people on the show, and that's the way we did it. Either send the money home or bring the money home and keep the family going. <laughs> and when you got home, try to spend as much of the 24 hours at home as you could because you're going to go again pretty darn certain. You know, yeah. And we do have a caller. Hello, Lynn. You're on with Johnny Weston. Well, hello. Uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Patricia Walden. And hello, Johnny. How are you tonight? I'm fine, man. How are you doing? Where are you calling from? I am calling from Glendale, Arizona. No kidding. You're right next door over here. I'm in Mesa right now. Yes, and I'm sitting here on the deck right now just kind of watching out and seeing how warm and nice it is and everything. And just in because the hot weather's finally going away. Isn't it amazing? We suffered this summer, I think, waiting for this good weather. You know, Lynn, I moved down here the middle of May. I retired from a radio show on the 10th of April, as you probably heard. Came down here to Mesa, and we bought a house down here, moved in on the middle of May, and 100-plus days of more than 100 degrees just since we've been here in the last four, four and a half months. Now we're getting a little bit of that beautiful Arizona weather, and I'm loving every bit of it. How about you? Oh, gosh, it's gorgeous. I've lived here for 43 years, although part of that was, you know, in other states. I moved with my company, AT&T, and then back again. But I, Arizona, to me, is my home. It's so gorgeous. It's a wonderful place. When we first got married, we lived in Scottsdale for 15 years, and uh, this is a second marriage for me and for my wife. We had each had two little girls by the time we met each other through Waylon Jennings, and we have one together. So we have a daughter in Queen Creek. We have a daughter up in Snowflake. We have 10 grandchildren here in Arizona and a couple of great-grandsons, great another one on the way around Christmas time. And it's just great to be back in the big state of Arizona. It really is. You're so lucky to have family around you like that. I've got a, a son down here with my grandson and stuff, and I truly enjoy that. We worked 25 years in Wichita without any family at all. We had to fly to family. We have one daughter who lives in, uh, in Rollins, Wyoming. We have uh, two girls in California, one in the San Fernando Valley. We're going to see this next weekend. I've got another one of those lucky things happening. I'm getting the Silver Spur Award from the Motion Picture Cowboys Association for lifetime achievement in Western films and music and movies and so forth. And both my daughters in California, our daughters now, are going to get to come which is a neat deal. So we have basically between Arizona and California, we have four girls and uh, 14 grandchildren and three more up in Wyoming. So from now on, we're going to be surrounded by family, which we have not been for the last 25 years. That is incredible. Oh, going to... oh go ahead, Patricia. I'm sorry. Are you going to be doing any concerts or performances in your area, Johnny? 
in the immediate area, not until next year. Uh, for 14 consecutive years, and Lynn has probably heard of this show, called the National Festival of the West in Scottsdale. And I have performed at that show for 14 years in a row. We thought last year was going to be, this past March was going to be the end of it, but apparently they're going to give her a go next year uh, again. It's always the fourth of the uh, middle of March for four consecutive days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they have it at Westworld in Scottsdale, which is a great, great facility. As far as I know, that's the closest I'm going to be performing to home. Most of my things are grab an airplane and fly a long way away, like last year I did four dates in Vienna, Austria, <laughs> and uh, the big, big festival over there, and we had a couple of days in the Swiss, in the Austrian Alps after that, and it could be in, in, you know, as I said, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, the next day, or Minneapolis, Minnesota, the next day, as it was last year. So a lot of things, even when we lived in Scottsdale, when I was touring with Johnny Cash all the time, I didn't play very many shows in the Phoenix area, in in Arizona. A couple, two or three a year, but most of them were on the road, and they still are. Well, that sounds wonderful, and I'm glad to hear you're still doing your work at, uh, you know, this late in your career, and I don't mean it that it's bad, but boy, that's marvelous to hear you keep going. Well, I'll tell you, man, I've enjoyed every minute of it, and I hope maybe one of these days, if there's something close enough by, you'll come over and grab me by the shoulder and say, hey, I'm that guy that talked to you on Patricia's radio show. Okay, well, I'm going to say something off the record as far as, you know, westerns and everything. How about if you've been to Oregon Stop Pizza? I have not. Oh, it's out there in Mesa. It's, uh, and I'm not doing a commercial here or anything, but I love the area. But it's, uh, um, well, it's got the world's largest, uh, what is it, uh, Oregon, you know, from the old-time days and stuff. That's interesting. Well, you know, this is such a, this, Mesa is my wife Joe's hometown. She was born and raised here, like the old Statler Brothers' uh, wonderful song that they recorded, the class of 57. She was the class of 57 at Mesa High School when there was only one high school here. There were about 12,000 people in Mesa when she grew up here. And as I said, we lived in Scottsdale for 15 years before moving to Wichita. However, today, Scottsdale, Mesa is 468,000 people. 468,000 people in Mesa, Arizona. It's the third biggest city in the state with Phoenix, Tucson, and then Mesa, and it's just incredible. So there's a lot of places just coming back here that I haven't seen, but I'll take that under consideration, Lynn. Thank you. Yeah, and I always tell the story. I moved here in 1967, and Phoenix was, I think the whole area was around 650,000 or something like that. And the sidewalks had about a foot to a foot and a half curb because of the old horse days. Yeah. I, worked, I worked downtown Phoenix, and I used to go out every day at lunch and walk to the little shops that had Indian turquoise and all those kind of things, you know. And down in there, yeah, there was a whole there was a whole little area down there was just like that. Well, I met my wife in 1966. I said when Waylon Jennings introduced us there in Scottsdale, and uh, I remember the city limit sign at that time said Phoenix, Arizona, 771,000 people. And as you know now, the city is over 4 million people, and Mesa is 468,000 people. Well, they all knew that you were coming, I guess. Well, they didn't make a cake, okay? <laughs> Although you could have on the sidewalk for a couple of days, some of the heat that we've had out here. Oh, yeah, alongside the eggs, there's no doubt. So, <laughs> Good to talk to you, Len. Thanks for the call. And thank you very much for uh, taking my or taking my time. Let me take your time. I apologize, and I'll talk to you down the road, hopefully. Got you. Thanks so much, Len. Bye, Patricia and Walden. Bye-bye, John. Bye, Lynn.
Yeah, that was nice. He's over here in Glendale. That's, He's got a lot of good friends up that way. Glendale, Sun City, Sun City West, that whole, uh -huh. whole area. That whole area. He's got the whole area. Lynn is one of our DJs. He's the DJ I mentioned earlier uh, who does work for the station, Yesterday USA. Very so, good. Well, I'm sure I could tell by that the depth of that voice that he's done some radio. That's that's a wonderful thing. I have one of my band leaders. I have really, really lucked out through the years. I was carrying in a band to have some wonderful guys as band leaders. One of them, uh, P.J. Canton. Pete Canton was my band band leader for several years, and I just lost him to diabetes here a while back. And his his home was in Glendale, Arizona, and uh, I have been in touch with his widow. Uh, ever since, and it's uh, one, one of my great memories of Glendale was having Pete Canton, PJ, as, as my band leader. It was just a, a great thing to be on the road with and a great guy. Hello, Carl. You are on the air with Johnny Weston. Well, Marty Robbins, of course, came from Glendale. I think just about everybody in the world knows that. It was his, his home. His mother continued to live there until the day she passed away. And so Glendale's got some uh, some wonderful history in, in Western and country music going forward with with people like uh, Marty Robbins and Pete Canton, absolutely. I have a question about that later. We have a caller. Good evening, Patricia, Warren, Johnny. Hello. Good evening. And Harwood. Who are we talking with, please? Yes, Harwood. Well, hi, Harwood. Yeah, I've been listening since about five minutes after you got started, anyway. Harwood is one of your biggest fans, Johnny. He's he's one of the people who's saying, boy, i got to listen, i got to listen. Well, where do you live, sir? I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina. Well, all right, I have been there. I played Greensboro with Johnny Cash a couple of times through the years. I sure have. Right. Pretty part of the country out there, Howard. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nice. We have some extreme weather sometimes, but... Uh... I think that's any place anymore. We're getting some... <laughs> when we can have tornadoes in Arizona, the weather strains everywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, there's worse places than here. There you go. Uh, I think that Gene Autry and Roy Rogers were my two favorites when I was a kid. And um, like you were saying earlier, it's it's really a shame to see a lot of that go. Well, it's hard to let go of those memories, and I hope we don't have to. Like I said, if if you happen to have the Encore Western channel on your TV screen, you can turn and see Gene and Roy and and all of your favorites and so forth. But what a wonderful era that was. And believe me, uh, Roy Rogers was a wonderful, wonderful man. And so was Dale Evans, a wonderful woman. I do a lot of shows with their son, with Roy Rogers Jr., who's now appearing at Mickey Gillies Theater in Branson, Missouri. And uh, a great, great family. The Rogers family is a great family, and they have meant a lot in my life. As I said, my, my tilt kind of was to Gene Autry because he's, well, it's kind of a strange thing. Roy Rogers told me when I first met him, when I had him on my radio show in Minnesota when I was a kid, he said, you know, he said, I never would have had a job in this business without Gene Autry, kind of like me. But he said Gene was, was my idol. And he said, had he not been at Republic Pictures and established what he established, he said, I never would have had the job of, of uh, being a movie cowboy at Republic. And Gene got into a contract argument with Herb Yates, the president of, of Republic Pictures, and walked away. Yates said, well, I'll fix you. I'll just find me another screen cowboy. I'll build him up. And the guy that he found was Leonard Sly, who they changed the name to Roy Rogers. So Roy was a wonderful guy and a dear, dear friend and a, a, just a great human being. And with Roy Rogers, what you saw on the screen was exactly what you got in person. There was no difference whatsoever. Yeah, I've heard that many times. And uh, I, I think those two were the ones that, that I always wanted to meet the worst. 
although there were others. But I'm hard. I wish you could have been. I really wanted to make, make the worst, and of course it never happened. Well, sometimes it doesn't, but, but what wonderful memories of, you know, just thinking about those days on the silver screen and how much those guys meant to you and how much they meant to our growing up, you know? That, that's true, and it's, uh, kids today don't have a clue, and it's it's really a shame to see what's happened to a lot of them that looks like it's been different. If It's been definitely different. Today's the day of the anti-hero, not the... Not the uh, what I call the blue shirt hero and so forth, but you know, as long as we can hang on to those good memories and so forth, and try to to raise our kids and grandkids and great grandkids with somewhat of that moral fiber that those guys emitted on the screen, I think we'll be all right. Unfortunately, we can't cover all the bases like we used to because the westerns were the biggest thing in the world. We don't have that today. We don't have that same ability to flip on your TV screen and and have all these great heroes there, but. Believe me, it was a wonderful era, and if we can pass a little bit of that on to our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, I think we're going to be doing all right. I've, got, I've just got an owl curiosity question, I guess it is. But, sure. Uh, I've always heard tales of it, and you probably don't know about Gene, but if you do, I would really like to know for certain if it's true. Before he got into movies or whatever, um... I think he lived in Oklahoma. I may have that incorrect, but I thought he did. He talking about Gene Autry? Yes. Yes, he did live in Oklahoma. He sure did. Well, I'd been told at some time in life um, he worked as a telegraph operator. Absolutely true. He was the telegraph operator for the Frisco Railroad in Chelsea, Oklahoma, which is kind of over in the Claremore, Oklahoma area. Right. Well, you know, I was more than am now a amateur radio operator and of course we had to use um radio telegraph but yes acquired anymore for a license but it's still used but i was just always curious about that if it was really true that's really true and i'll tell you something howard he could to the last time that i ever visited with him he could still identify and do morse code on the on a t telegraph, just like it was yesterday, like he'd been, he never forgot how to do Morse code, nor did he forget how to read it. It was an amazing oh. thing, like I said, he had a mind like a steel trap, but he could still listen to that click, 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 and tell you exactly what it was saying, and sit down and hit that key and answer it in a moment's notice, 60 years. You never, you never forget it, you get rusty at it and lose some of your speed, but you never really forget it. There you go. Well, that's absolutely true. I'm glad you asked that question. Uh... Of course, what we did is a little different than the founders that were used by him and by the railroad because it was continuous wave RF type um, Morse, and they were using international, no, the Morse, international Morse was used on the radio. They were using continental code then um, on the railroad, but... There's not a whole lot of difference in it, just some, but I like to collect old sounders yeah, well this, that were used back then. In Gene's life, this happened in 1926 and 1927. Right. This is when he was doing it. Even after he went to New York and started making a few recordings, which were not that successful, he still maintained his his work at the railroad on occasion. He'd come back and work two, three months and so for the Frisco Railroad, and, uh, and he still was a... A telegrapher at heart, he could keep on doing it till the day he died. 
Well, I was just, I've always been curious about that. And Absolute true story, Howard. Very, very, very interesting you'd bring that up. You bet. One, I know you worked on stuff for a lot of TV shows and all. Were you involved with 26 Men? No, but I did, I've got to watch an episode. You know, they filmed that down here in Arizona. There's a right, right outside of Phoenix here called Apache Land over at Apache Junction, and they did some episodes over there. They did quite a few at Old Tucson, and, of course, I was living in Southern California, but I was working a lot of shows in this area, and I popped over, and uh, Kilo Henderson has become a friend of mine, of course, was a co-star on that show, very, very fast gunman, very, very, very fast, and he, he got that job through his gun abilities. He and Tris Coffin, of course, starred in that show. So I watched some film at Old Tucson one time when I was appearing at a place called Tucson Gardens that night. But I never did appear in that show itself. Yeah, I was always curious if you had done the, um, the theme for it. No, I didn't. Uh-uh. No. Well, that, was, that was just another curiosity thing. I'm still here, and I may wind up coming back for it's over. But uh, <laughs> I did just want to ask some of that anyway. Well, Howard, it's good to talk to you, my friend, and you take care of North Carolina for us, will you? All right, I'll try. I'm All glad. right. Appreciate uh, got around to call and you and got you on here. I, I really am. Well, that's very, very nice of you, Howard. You take good care, and maybe we'll, maybe we'll see each other one day, and it won't be like Gene or Roy where we can stand there and shake hands. I sure hope so. I'd love to do that. You take care of them, my friend. Uh, you too. All right, Howard. Bye-bye. Thanks, Howard. Harwood is the instigator in all of this, by the way. He's the one who asked for the John Daner radio. Oh, yes. Have Gun Will Travel. That kind of just amplified all the way down the line and allowed me to get in touch with you. So he's the start of all of this. So I'm, I'm really happy that he called in to say hi and had some questions for you. Um, speaking of John Daner, you told me on the phone last week that Richard Boone had been considered originally for the radio role of Paladin. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Of course, the show was already a hit on TV. Uh -huh. Dick was doing 39 weeks a year on the TV show and had no time to do radio or anything else. He had 13 weeks in the summertime, what to call a hiatus, but he was doing feature motion pictures at that time, like Thunder Drums over in Gallup, New Mexico, for MGM. And then uh, he went to New York for 12 weeks on another hiatus and did the Lincoln-Douglas debates on Broadway. You know, Dick was a powerful, powerful actor, a stage actor, as well as a movie actor. So it, it was absolutely no time for him to do the radio show. And consequently, John Daner, who was a wonderful character actor, was chosen by CBS to do it. And, of course, John was, what to say, jobbing around. He, he worked one place and he worked another. He was not tied to a series or anything like the... Uh, like the Boone Show was, and so he made a wonderful uh, radio paladin. He really did. Like mm -hmm. William Conrad was, of course, the voice of Matt Dillon on the original Gunsmoke. Right. The reverse of, of that was Gunsmoke started out on radio with William Conrad as Matt Dillon, and Have Gone Will Travel started out on TV, and then later went to radio with John Daner as paladin. Mm-hmm. Did you know any of the old-time, what we would consider old-time radio performers? Had a you lot met of John them. Daner? A lot of them, yeah. Absolutely. About it. Uh, I had a wonderful experience a few years ago. My wife and I flew out to Newark, New Jersey for the Friends of Old Time Radio National uh -huh. Convention. And I performed out there. I did a lot of the old TV themes and so forth and some of the radio themes like Happy Trails and Back in the Saddle Again and so forth. And a lot of my radio heroes were out there. And one of the things that we got to do was to watch a lot of these great radio performers recreate some of the roles that they had done on national radio through the years. 
and then uh, it was a lot of fun because a couple of years later, went to the uh, film festival in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, had a great, great opportunity to visit with some more radio performers who I had listened to, it seemed like, ever since I was a little kid, that came to the Memphis Festival to add things like Fred Foy, who was the original announcer of the Lone Ranger radio show, which emanated in Detroit, um, Will Hutchins, who, who played Sugarfoot on uh, the TV series at Warner Brothers, and I did a radio show together. We did a recreation of Jimmy Stewart's Six Gun Theater on CBS, and their Christmas show was a Western version of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Oh, God. And I played Bob Cratchit on the show, and Gail Storm, my little Margie, oh, Susanna Gail Storm, who passed away just about a year ago, bless her heart, right. was my wife. She played Mrs. Cratchit. And uh, Dick Veal, who was the original, original, original voice of, Tim, of Tiny Tim in the original version with Jimmy Stewart 50 years before, was there and did Tiny Tim even though he was in his 70s, he did that identical voice on that recreation of that radio show, which was really a lot of fun. That's a, a memory thing I'll never forget. Seth, Walden is very involved in the old-time radio conferences, conventions, FOTR, reps up in Washington, so you're you're talking to your choir over on the other phone there. I would think that Walden must know a lot about the, the big one in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Oh, I sure do. The old-time radio. You bet. I've been there five times. It's a, it's a great event. Isn't that wonderful? It's a great event. I had such a good time. It's the only time I've been, but such a great event. And the strange thing about it was... and coming across on the train from the Newark train station into Manhattan, the train station stop that my wife and I got off on was in the basement of the World Trade Center. And when we came up the stairs from there, right across the street as we came out on, the, on Church Street there, was the Roy Rogers restaurant. And of course, it was totally demolished with 9-11, oh. as with the Trade Center. So... That particular time was a wonderful time out there, and of course, it makes me sick today that the Trade Center is gone, that the towers are gone, and, and what happened to our country on 9-11, but uh, a great memory of that one time that I got to go and participate in the uh, Friends of Old Time Radio. Just a great, great, great experience. I'm taking a right turn here. What was your favorite radio show when you were growing up? Probably The Lone Ranger with Brace Beamer as uh -huh. Lone Ranger of WXYZ Radio in Detroit. He had that magnificent Lone Ranger voice, and uh, and probably, you know, since it was a Western, of course, you know, Gene Autry was on with Melody Ranch. He didn't come on until 1941 with Melody Ranch, and I started listening to radio almost immediately. We had a battery-powered radio up there in, in northern Minnesota, and the, the Lone Ranger started out in the 1930s. So... Listening to Brace Beamer as the Lone Ranger, I think that was the theater of the mind thing, and I was riding right along with him with high old silver. You were. Absolutely. Asked, Walden had Fred Foy as a guest one night, and I asked Fred if he ever grew weary of saying the same thing over and over and over again, and he said, are you kidding? I mean, he said it a little bit more politely than mm -hmm. that, but it was like, <laughs> are you a crazy woman? Yeah, really. <laughs> Let me ask you the same question about the Ballad of Paladin. Does it ever wear on you that when you stand in front of a group of people, that's likely the first thing they're going to ask for? No. In fact, it's the greatest compliment in the world. I asked Marty Robbins, I toured with Marty Robbins a lot, 
I knew him for almost 30 years, and I toured with him a lot. And I asked him, since the, the great song that he wrote and recorded El Paso, 1959-60, it was almost five minutes long. It was the first record, commercial record, that really broke records by running twice as long as an ordinary phonograph record did on the air. Um, and I said, Marty, that song is almost five minutes long. Do you ever get sick of singing El Paso? He said, never. He said, do you get sick of singing Paladin? I said, never. <laughs> it's just something about it. Uh, for whatever reason, I mean, commercial success, yes. But the fact that it is still around for five decades, and I have never one time gotten tired of singing it, ever. We're so happy to hear that because we want to hear it forever. You sing it when you're on, in concert. People ask for it. They expect it. I, I don't ever do a concert without it. If I, was, if I was limited to one song and say there were 15 people on the show and it would be one song, that would be the song that I'd have to sing because that's what the people came for. I've always hated it when somebody is famous for a particular thing and then they don't do it in the show for whatever uh -huh. reason. They just Maybe they are sick of doing it. Um, but what, for whatever reason, no, I've never gotten sick of, of doing it and I would do it, you know. Uh, I felt there's two things. Number one, I would do it for me because it changed my entire life. Number two, and maybe more important than number one, I owe it to the public. If that's what they paid their money to come in and hear, then they need to hear that song. Everything else is kind of gravy. I, I love hearing that from you. Um, periodically we'll hear, not periodically, very often, we'll hear live performances and expect that the performer will sing what we came to hear because we have learned to love a piece of work and it comes out as a stylized version that doesn't resemble what our ears want to hear. You know, I had a, a very, very bad experience with that, and maybe it taught me a lesson up top. I've always loved Tony Bennett. I love Tony Bennett to this day. He's 84 years old. He's singing of a storm, winning Grammy Awards, and I think it's, it's wonderful. But a friend of mine belonged to the Playboy Club in Hollywood when I lived out there. I'd never been there. And I wouldn't have, wouldn't have put up the money to go, but he, you can take a guess. And it was a rumor going around that maybe Tony Bennett was going to show up and do a little impromptu show that night, and he did. It was So it was like, not only did I get in free and see all those pretty cocktail waitresses, but I got to see Tony Bennett. <laughs> and one of the, uh, my great Tony Bennett favorite songs was Rags to Riches. And of course, it was so stylized, you know, to, I'm going to go from Rags to Riches. And it just, it's just locked in your head. And when he got up there, he said, well, here's a song that you may remember. It started in this bebop jazz thing. Uh, go from rags to riches, pop, 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 pop. And I was so disappointed, I almost got up and walked out. Almost. I couldn't believe that he had destroyed that song like that. It was nothing even resembling the recording. Nothing. I think maybe he was sick of hearing it and just did it for himself to, to change the pace and stuff to make it a little more palatable to sing. But, you know, such a gigantic hit for him. And it completely was destroyed. Thank God the next time I saw him, he did not mess up. I left my heart in San Francisco. I think then I really would have walked out. Yeah. But, you know, it's just one of those kind of things. So I've, I've, I've always felt that any artist who went on stage and disappointed the crowd by not doing the hits that they came to hear has really shortchanged their audience. I appreciate that. I am sincere when I tell you I appreciate that. And... Obviously, you're locked into what I was talking about before with the different styles and the different music, and I will take a studio recording over a live performance almost every time. Yeah, me too. I think, uh, I unless it's, there are two or three artists that can do 
a live performance out there as well as they can do a studio recording, two or three, uh-huh. and maybe you can count them on one hand. Other than that, you've got two situations. You've got some people that can't really do a great live performance, and they're only studio artists, or you've got the people that have done a great studio thing and then want to screw it up when they hit the stage. So those people I have to kind of count out. If you can do that song as close, that's, that's one thing I admire Cash about so much. He never, never messed up the song. If you're going to do I Walk the Line, it was exactly the way that he recorded it in 1956. Uh-huh. You know, even though he was doing it 30 years later, he never jazzed it up or did anything. It was always the same. And, you know, that, that really had to admire that. And I didn't ask him to do it. It was just something that Johnny did. But it, it teaches an object lesson to a lot of these uh, singers that feel that for some reason they have to to pop it up, as I say. They've got to play to a pop crowd or a rock and roll crowd and, and mess up a really good record. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I paid my money to see. And I'm, a, I'm the biggest fan. That's why I enjoy disc jockeying so much for 25 years to play everybody else's records because I'm such a huge fan of people like the Waylon Jenningses and the Johnny Cashes and the George Joneses who didn't screw up the songs. They played them on stage in live performances just exactly like they recorded them. And that's, that's what I paid my money to see, and I, I think that uh, it's the same for most people. Hello, Carl. You're on with Johnny Weston. Whatever. You know what, little lady? I'm running out of gas here, and you said to give you a little bit of a warning. Okay. I've had a wonderful time, so I think it's just maybe about time to kind of wind it down. It may have been your listeners' ears for too long as it is, but I've sure been having a good time. Well, you are fabulous. We have one caller, and then we can wind it up. All righty. Hi, Johnny. This is uh, Dick Dyer. I was flying for Captain for the uh, Mercer Airlines in Burbank. I had uh, Richard Boone on board one time, and I was wondering if you happened to be on board. We left out of Burbank. No, I didn't, Dick. I didn't. I didn't fly anywhere with Richard Boone. I know he made a bunch of personal appearances on his own as a guest star at different things, but uh, I can't recall that I ever flew with Dick. I rode in the car with him. You know, John Wayne gave him a brand new Rolls Royce when he did the part of Sam Houston in the movie The Alamo. Dick was making so much money doing Paladin that he <laughs> couldn't afford to take any more income for the year, or the government was going to get it all. Something about that ninety percent income tax thing over a certain level at that time. And so Wayne was trying to figure out a way to to get Boone to do the part of Sam Houston in that Malamo movie. And he figured if he got talking with the taxman, and said, well, if he gave him a gift, the government couldn't touch it. So he gave him a brand new Silver Cloud Rolls Royce, jet black Rolls Royce, for a present for doing the part of... of so Dick had that uh, wonderful Rolls Royce, and I got to ride in it a couple of times, but I never did fly with him. Wow. You were talking about Canab. I flew out a lot of times out there. Yeah, that's quite a little airport out there, you know, little Hollywood, and and uh, a couple of times, uh, Dick, when we were flying, well, this is the late 1950s, you got to go back, you pretty much flew in there with Goonie Birds, you know, with uh, <laughs> the twin engines and stuff, and, and hope for that short runway was going to be able to take it. It wasn't really, uh, wasn't really all that cool, as you can remember. Yeah, I think uh, some of our passengers put some rocks in their baggage because it was <laughs> get, uh, barely made it off the end of the runway. Those people up there have been very kind to me through the years. Uh, all the time that I spent up there making movies and television shows, they have an event up there every August called the, the Western Legends. And a couple of years ago, they gave me the Legend Award up there, and they took a uh, uh, a big plaque thing and, and mounted on a, a, I guess some kind of a, post, a steel post that they put in the ground. And all up and down the main boulevards there in Canab is what they call Walkway of the Stars. So my 
particular plaque with my basic history of movies I made in Canav is in front of Perry's Lodge, which is where all the stars stayed for so many years making the westerns up there. And it's, it's a great event. But thousands of people show up to get autographs from folks like Cheyenne. Clint Walker uh, comes up every year, and Hugh O'Brien, White Earp, and a lot of your favorites and stuff. So got a very, very special place in my heart for Canav, Utah. And we were just there a couple of weeks ago, and I did get to see my plaque out there, which is very, very nice. Brought, brought back a lot of old memories. I bet you. I was kind of sorry to hear about the fire. The fire? I drove my wife out there to show where I'd done my very first feature picture. I did five full-length features. My very first one was a, a picture with John Russell, who starred as The Lawman on the TV show, The Lawman at Warner Brothers and ABC Television, and uh, John was the leading man in that show. And the western town was fairly new at that time. It was in very, very good repair. And uh, fortunately, I have that movie on videotape, so I can look back on it. But they it, they had really let it deteriorate. Uh, Clint Eastwood had used the, the, that location in 1975 when he made the outbound Josie Wales, a seedy-looking little broken-down western town. It had deteriorated quite a bit at that time, but then it burned. And now there's just nothing but a lot of uh, kind of sticks sticking up in the air that are jet black, and buildings have fallen down, the roofs are caved in. It's a very sad thing to see, and it's... It's uh, very visible from the road out there that leads into the Johnson Ranch, which was the big movie location, because, you know, part of my life and part of my heart are in there, and there, there she is, all crumbled to the ground. But, you know, those things happen after many, many years. Mm. Yes. Well, I've sure enjoyed your story tonight, and it was very, very interesting. So I'll hang up, and thank you very much. I bet you've had some interesting stories your own self as a pilot, and I hope I get to meet you someday. Thank you so much. Thank you, Donnie. All right, take care. Thank you, Dick. And nice people calling me. You're a very nice. lucky lady to have this radio show to be able to do this with well, it's, a it's lot of actually, people. It's Walden's show, and he lets me come out. And <laughs> well, you can see why. You can see why Johnny. She does a great job. So she does a great job, and she uh, tells. She's been telling me during the week and stuff what you do to put this thing together. People don't realize I'm in Mesa, Arizona. You are hundreds of miles away, Walden, and she's. Thousand. Over a thousand miles away, and we're all like we're in the same room. Right, and we're and we're feeding all down to Texas. It's pretty amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, I've got uh, two things to say and one final question, if you can bear with me on that. Right. First, I want people to know that you have CDs available at Amazon.com, and my gosh, uh, if you need some ear teasers first. Get up to YouTube, just type in Johnny Western and appreciate what comes up as samples of his work. You're going to love it. Now, I want you to know, however, that while I was digging around up there and listening to this fabulous music, oh my gosh, I've been up there I don't know how many times, there is a, a, one of the clips is of Cowpoke, which mm -hmm. you did great song. I mean, it's, it's, it's one that people might not recognize the title. As soon as they hear it, they're going to know what it is. But there's a comment underneath it. And all it says is, it makes my ears feel good. Well, I don't know who made the comment, I but I'm very know. grateful they said that. It's, uh, it was, uh, was written by Stan Jones, who wrote Ghost Riders in the Sky. He wrote the theme song from The Searchers, which I also recorded with the Sons of the Pioneers. Searchers was voted the number one Western movie of all time. And, of course, it's a great John Wayne movie with that wonderful cast of John Wayne and Vera Miles and uh, Jeffrey Hunter and, and Ward Bond, that whole great cast. 1956, The Searchers, and so I was thrilled to death to get a chance to record that song with the Sons of the Pioneers, and Cowpoke, Stan Jones was one of the two greatest Western songwriters in the world. I've talked about 
earlier than that by Bob Nolan, the Sons of the Pioneers, writing Cool Water, Tumbling Tumbleweeds, The Mystery of His Way, so many great, great Western songs. The other great writer was Stan Jones, and he wrote all those great movie themes, including the theme from Cheyenne on television. Cheyenne with Clint Walker comes on just ahead of Have Gun Will Travel on the Westerns channel every day, five days a week. So you get to hear that piece of music before our show, Have Gun Will Travel, comes on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, Stan is buried here in Arizona. Unfortunately, he died very, very young of a heart attack at age 49. And as I said last weekend, last uh, Friday and Saturday, I was performing in Wilcox, Arizona for the 59th annual Rex Allen Days. And in Douglas, Arizona, is very close to Wilcox. And I couldn't keep Stan Jones off my mind over there with all the great songs. And he was a musical mentor to me as a songwriter. Uh, I wrote The Ballad of Paladin because I was actually playing Writers in the Sky at the time that I wrote it. So I went one to the other to the other. And I said, Stan, you are going to be my musical mentor forever. So when he wrote Calpo, I really had to record that song. I actually got that song from Rex Allen Sr., but I got the greatest compliment in the world because there have been many recordings of that song through the years. And Stan, before passing away, thank the good Lord, said, Kid, he said, that's the greatest recording of, of my song that was ever done. And I'm going to tribute 50% of that to the Sons of the Pioneers who did that that great backup yodeling behind myself, you know, the, the cowpoke theme. Mm-hmm. And that song has meant a lot to me because it has probably been the second biggest Western song besides uh, the Ballad of Paladin that I've ever had. And when I do it on the shows, and I continue to do that song, to this day, I'm thinking, boy, you know, what a writer. And that song just says everything about cowboys that ever was. So I'm very grateful that you have found that on Amazon.com, and I hope folks will will enjoy it. And I hope so, too. It was a comment uh, from one of the listeners who just left that little line that said, this makes my ears feel good. Oh, boy. You've got to have some wonderful listeners. out there who have enjoyed what I hope are some of the best times of their lives because they certainly were for me. As I said, in just a few days, October 28th, I'll be 76, and I feel like I'm 26 at heart when I hear and see the things that made me the happiest in my life, to be part of the, the Western movie, the Western television, Western music industry, and to see how it affects people to this day. There's a, a goodness and something very American about Western music and Western movies and Western TV shows. It belongs to us. It doesn't belong to anybody else in the world except us. That is the United States of America, which I'm very proud to be a member. And, you know, no matter what our political affiliations or anything else and all these things that we are bombarded with on radio and TV, once in a while it's just great to sit back and relax and enjoy a better time and a better place, and I think you guys are doing that. We're happy. That we can do it. We are so happy that that we can just reach back, touch history, and have such a good time with it. Well, somebody needs to do it, and you're doing it well, Patricia. I, I do. Thank you. Walden is my engine. <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh, Johnny, thank you for spending the last two hours with us. We really appreciate your time. Well, I've had a wonderful time. I hope I get the chance to see you guys in person one day. It's felt like we've been in the same room together for the last couple of hours, but it's been a joy to be with you. You're spreading the good word out there in many, many Many, many people are, are going to be able to enjoy this show for a long time to come, and I hope that uh, 
I hope that one day we'll just get a chance to sit down for real in a real room and we'll just talk it over. Terrific. Certainly hope so. Johnny, thank you so much. We really appreciate your being with us, and you're terrific. Well, Patricia, thanks for the invitation. Walden, thank you for everything, including keeping us on the air. It doesn't sound like there have been any glitches out there at all. So yeah, I think we did folks it. folks who tune in to these folks every week, God bless, and thanks for letting me spend a couple of hours with you. I've Terrific. really enjoyed it. Terrific. Good night. Good night. Good night. And they're here to Johnny Weston. Very nice. Well, I think we'll play a song uh, from, uh, we just got a CD this week from uh, Johnny Mathis, his latest hit. Let's go ahead and play that, and Patricia and I will be right back after the song. I bless the day I found you I want to stay around you And so I beg you Let it be me Don't take this heaven from if you must cling to someone now and forever let it be me each time we meet love i find complete love without your sweet love what would life be? So never leave me lonely. Tell me you love me only, and that you'll always let it be me.
And there's Johnny Mathis' latest album. And hello, Patricia. Great song. Hello, Walden. Hey. Oh, everybody. My gosh. What a great time we had with Johnny Western. Good thing. Good thing Patricia can carry the interview. I had, I had a mess with my board trying to make sure everybody could hear me. I had a little gremlins running around here, and I figured out very end what happened. So. Oh, see, it wasn't my ears after all? Well, you know what I think what happened? What? Um, there was a master control with my microphone, and somehow that got tuned down. So I was messing around. I was unplugging, replugging, doing different things with my microphone to make it come back alive. <laughs> and then I decided to look at the master switch, and that's what I turned it up at the very end. So, uh, okay, so you didn't have to turn me up after all. Am I back to a four then? Uh-huh, I moved you back down. Okay, thank you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I don't know how you do that over there. Oh, well, hey, everybody, you can give us a call, 714-545-2071, or you, let, you can let Patricia and I chat for a little bit, and we're going to play a February show fairly, fairly soon. We're going to have a break, but if you want to sneak in during this segment, you can, 714-545-2071. So how was your week, Patricia? My week was fine. I'm just sitting here hoping that Johnny Western will come back and join us again down the line sometime because he's got a whole lot more to talk about. Well, considering we never really touched upon the Johnny Cash part of his career. Not the Johnny Cash part of his career, not his songwriting awards and recording. Uh, we only touched on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. We did talk some about his acting career. Mm -hmm. Um and I've, I've got uh, some personal questions that <laughs> I'm going to ask this one by email. I did give him a heads up on it, but he wears black. And Gene Autry was a good guy. He, was, had, he had the white hat. <laughs> you know? So I just, uh, and he, all of the um, clips that are up on YouTube of him have him wearing black. And I wondered why he chose black. Whether or not it had something to do with uh, performances or personal taste, so that was my curiosity question. So I'll ask him and let everybody know. Wow, wow. Not wow. It's just a little wow. one, you know. But it's one that just jumped out at me. He wears black all the time, and he sounds. By the way, anybody who is out digging around on YouTube, you will discover that he sounds today like he did in the Ballad of Paladin. The difference. Very nice is that Paladin that you heard at the beginning of the show is a studio cut, so it is perfect. And what you will hear up on YouTube are live performances that have amateur recordings. And even at that, he still sounds fabulous. So <sighs> I was really happy when he said yes, he would be able to join us. The end. The end. How was your week? We've been good learning stuff, you know, that's, a, that's always good. <laughs> learning stuff, sound sound software stuff, trying to trying to be a computer guy, you know, that, you know, for a little old me, that's a, I have, that's a new venture, trying to get into the modern era of technology and sound recordings and all that kind of stuff. Walden grows up, he wants to be a geek. Walden just likes to pass path through and get the stuff transferred. That way, that way, it best I can get it out of analog into the digital format and I can share the stuff. Ah, yes. Well, um, you did give me the location for anyone <laughs> who's interested in what Walden is doing to me this week. He sent me to a website to download a program that will allow him to, in, in this same system, it's 
an Internet storage site so he can upload shows that he has recorded, and I will be able to download them. It is not an ABC-type installation. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, if, we need, if you need help, let me know. we got people who set me up so we can help you out with that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know more than more I don't know more than than anybody. You know, other other people know more of that than I do. I'm I'm just so grateful that televisions and computers come with an off and on switch. And I am I too. need to know. I am too. I was looking at the email program and I realized, well, the the freebie is, you know, great, but considering the files I'm uploading Yeah. You know, it caught me I said, Well, maybe I can sweet talk Patrice and go the other route and or we'll, we'll, we can sneak it through. So, so there. So, so there. So seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Give us a call. Let us know how you're doing. Uh, and if you were with us during the Johnny Western interview, how um, how it made you smile. I hope it did. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. We'll be getting we'll be getting back into the swing of uh, more interviews. Um, my my my. Uh, Life of uh, trying to, um, you know, haul stuff around and things somewhat crawling down, so I have a little more time. But you know, well, I'm getting to the holidays. You know, it's it's sometimes it's tough. I don't always book guests during the holidays, but you never know. I'm I'm going to have to start hustling with my holiday groundwork. But you know what? You know what's coming up next month, don't you? Well, I know it's the auction. That's right. It's the auction. The auction, because you got me last week. <laughs> 59 days. What is it going to be? I don't know. 59 days from now. That's what. Yeah. So the Yesterday USA auction is, is coming fast, coming soon, coming to a neighborhood near you. You have a computer, it's there. And we, Patricia and I, would sure love if you could support the auction any way you can. And it doesn't have to be anything big. Just little stuff could help us out. And? 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 You don't have to donate anything in order to participate. Nope. And bid on items that will be posted on the homepage. The homepage will have a link to the auction items so you can have an idea of what's going up for bid on auction night, which is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And it will start about 4 o'clock Eastern Time. So you go over the list, decide which items you want to bid on, wait for that number to come up, and either join us in the chat room so you can type in your bids. I want to bid $5 on item 17. Or keep your ears on and you can uh, give a call when your item comes up. Say, I want to bid 15, I want to bid 5, I want to bid 10. And go home with some really neat things for a very small amount of money by comparison to the package you're getting. Or if you're not going to be around, you're going to be gone Thanksgiving weekend, just help out and maybe donate an item. That that would be great, too. Mm-hmm. You know? And an item does not necessarily have to be old-time radio-related. No. And if you have something that you would like to send in to be part of the auction, you can send it to Kim Bragg, B-R-A-G-G, and they are at the same address as the station because they're all together in the same location. It's 2001 Plymouth Rock Drive, P-L-Y-M-O-U-T-H, Rock Drive, Richardson, Texas, J 
just the way it's, it's spelled just the way it sounds, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N, Texas, 75081. You got that memorized practically. I do. I've, I've written it out so many times with the CDs that I send out that I finally, it took a long time, I finally don't have to look anymore for the, for the zip code. I had the address really well, but the zip codes, I get all messed up. I tend to transpose numbers, which is how I get into trouble sometimes. I call people I'm not supposed to. <laughs> it's just, um, you can wind up with some really interesting phone calls when your brain transfers numbers around you know I got this this little just enough of a touch of dyslexia that and I've learned how to undo so if I say telephone numbers out loud and then dial them my brain is fine trouble and I've gotten some pretty interesting (laughs) pickups on the other end as a result of my uh, misdials hello there hello there call you on Patricia Walter and Patricia Ray. Hello, Ray. Hi, Ray. How are you? Good. I, I, I had a call and tell you what a great, great, great interview. Wasn't he fabulous? Oh. It was exceptional. Wow. Oh. I had listen to him all night. He was just, just exceptional. Now, as soon as the interview was over, I went online to see if he had a website or anything. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't either, and he he gave me the signal. He was ready to wind down. One of the things I had on my list was a website I, I discovered. I dug around, oh, my goodness, trying to find information. Um, I located a, a website address, and it was his, but it had been discontinued as of August. And I don't know if it has simply lapsed and it's going to come back up or he has finished because he was finished with the radio station. I don't know. But I'll put that in my email as well. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I tried to call in, and for some goofy reason, uh, I was dialing, I think, a 972 number, and Uh-oh. I got voicemails. Uh-oh. Well, that, 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 I don't know why. That go, that go down to Texas somehow. That's okay. Oh, oh, that's right. It was the nine seven two is the um, is the station in Texas. Yeah, I um, not well, I should have been paying a little closer attention then. Um, yeah, well, but I, I kept getting voicemail, so I thought you know people were on the line. But in any event, I did want to ask him if he had a website because I I would have uh, you know I'd like to be in touch with. Him. Now, do you know at all the T? Does he have a book, a biography, anything like that? I did not come across any, and Ray, you're tripping right into the questions that I had hoped we would have time to uh, talk a little bit about, and we didn't get there. I know that he has the CDs. I have not come across a book. I don't think he, he has written anything. Um, but there's a, a fair amount of information on the Internet about him, and uh, YouTube will give you some really good goodies. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, at, well, at this point, I'm, I'm, you know, in Wisconsin, I'm on dial-up, so I, oh, 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 okay. You know, YouTube would take me uh, an hour to listen to a song, you know, a couple of blurps at a time. Yeah. Any, um, any event, you know, he just absolutely fascinating. He's talking about the, you know, everything that's of real interest to me, you know, so he's a definite callback. I mean, we've got to hear more of this guy. And he's so gracious, 
And my goodness, all you got to do is breathe something on him, and he carries on for, I mean, he gives you all this gold, all these phenomenal, wonderful tidbits of information. Of, yeah, yeah. It's exceptional. And, you know, Gene Autry was always one of my favorites. And, uh, uh, you know, I was glued to the TV set for a half hour every, uh, I can't remember what day it was, but I was there. You know, I mean, (laughs) just unbelievable. What a marvelous, marvelous interview. He was, Gene Autry was your kid. He really, I had uh, an opportunity to talk with him for a little bit about a week ago when we were finalizing and setting this up. And at, by the time we finished, I mean, it was supposed to be a hello, is this okay, this is a great date, thank you very much. And we were on for almost an hour. <laughs> just, um, it, it, it's just such uh, an easy um Easy conversation, I guess, is is what it is. It's not question and answer. It's just a conversation with an old friend. So I'm just so delighted that you had a good time too. Yeah, just uh, just exceptional. You know what? Uh, and you know, it seemed so gracious and so kind. He was talking about the generosity of uh, of uh, Gene Autry, but he sure has captured that spirit as well. You know. I mean, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, you know, just listening, it was like listening to an old friend. Uh, So it was just, just phenomenal. I I was really, really happy for that one. Uh, Hello, guys. Can you hear me? Sure, can I? You bet. Yeah, I'm. uh, I'm losing steam on my cell phone. Uh oh. Here. Okay. I was going to ask you if I ever sent you any Hopalong, uh, not Hopalong, Gene Autry's. Did I ever send you Gene Autry? No, and I would love to have them. Okay. Well, your cell phone is dying. I'm going to ask a real quick question. Uh, Who lived in Pine Ridge? Which characters lived in Pine Ridge? That was uh, Lum and Abner. You got yourself some Gene Autry. Patricia, as always, you're terrific. Walden. Same here, Ray. Exceptional. So you you guys take care. I'll be listening. We'll talk to you soon, Ray. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Here's our buddy Ray from Chicago, Schwarz, Wisconsin. 714-545-2071. Who is she here? Are we having fun or we what? We are having fun. Today, the 9th of October, so we'll, we'll, we'll put some things together here the next few weeks, and, uh, you know, before you know it, it's going to be November, and then December, and January, and all that stuff, so, anyways, you have some ideas of people you would like to hear on the show, let us know, mm-hmm. an email would do to floridawriter at hotmail.com, if you like to be in touch with Patricia, that's the Best way to do it, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, plus whatever she's up. Which is a lot. Because she's awake. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the time that most people are asleep. I just do it backward. So, yeah. I did send an email to Sarah Karloff. Okay. And the last time I communicated with her, it took her a little bit of time to get back to me. She was really, really busy. Yeah. So I'll just. And this might be a busy time of the year for her anyway. I would think so. I yeah. asked about the 30th and made sure I added 
or any other Saturday good, good, except good. the 4th of the month. Good. So um, I, I do hope uh, she'll be with us. I have the interview that she did with Bill and Mike in 2000. So I'm going to be listening. I think it was in June 2000. Okay. And I think a year later, Bill and I did one with her. Um, I, well, I didn't listen to the whole thing, so you might have been in there, but I heard Mike hopping in. I, I did a yeah. cut check along the way. I think he did a couple, she did done it a couple of times that I'm aware of, and uh-huh. maybe more. Okay, but, well, uh, I, I mentioned your name. So. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, she'll recognize. Uh-oh. And Uh-oh. Wonderful interview in 2000 as well, so I'm very happy that I have that. So I did that, and um, maybe we'll hear back from her, and I will... Go over during the week. I'll go over with you the list from Bear Manor Media because they've got a new. Um, uh, what a am new, I looking for? New roster, new list. A new list, a new catalog. That's the word. <laughs> Excuse me, my my whole life is passing in front of my eyes. Yeah, I'm losing words. Yeah. Also, what we probably should do go over some of the celebrity people you might want to have on the show. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I've I had downloaded the entire list that Ben Omart has up at BearManorMedia.com, which everybody is a fabulous place to get material, books, um, audio books about old time radio. He's got a lot of others up there, television and uh, other entertainment oriented books, but an awful lot of old-time radio-related books, so it's a great place to go. So I had downloaded or copied and pasted his entire list and was going through and, you know, crossing off the modern television and things like that. And I went back up the other day, and there is this little link that says, our new 2010 catalog, and I downloaded it, and it is loaded with new books. Oh, wow. Loaded with new books. So now I have another list that I have to finish up. But I'll send you the ones I have so far. And uh, you know any other publisher that does sort of what he does? I mean, it seems like he created his own little niche of entertainment-related book. There must have been other people that did such things. There must be. I mean, there's. It, it's rare to have someone come up with a really, really, really brand new, one-of-a-kind idea. Somebody has either done it or done something similar. I don't know of anybody who has done it the way Ben has. Yeah. It's a a unique way to do it. It is exclusively entertainment, Mm -hmm. a good emphasis on old-time radio, on shows, on people, performers. Sometimes it's biography, sometimes autobiography, sometimes snapshot of shows. We have talked on air with many of the people who have written books. We've talked with John Abbott, who did Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. We talked with Mickey Smith, who has um, Fibber McGee and Molly, How They Won World War II, and Claire Schultz with Fibber McGee and Molly on the air. We've had many of them as guests, but that's just a little teeny drop of what uh, Ben is offering up at BearManorMedia.com. So you know, visit. Well, I'm thinking about on, you know, on the 3rd of October, Patricia, it's the anniversary of Wars of the World. Mm-hmm. I probably won't play the show, but uh, I think I might play a little sidebar, little drops here and there of uh, spinoffs. In other words, the old time Steve Allen explaining where he was when he heard the broadcast. Oh, wow. Super. Or, or I'll play the time when uh, Orson Welles was in front of the media doing the press conference. 
Uh-huh. Different thing that you people may or may not normally hear. I thought that we might do that, drop some of those in, plus whatever, whatever else we decide to do that night. That'll be fun. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yes. Well, I'll have to find something spooky for Fibber McGee and Molly. I know that there's a 15-minute show where Fibber takes Teeny out trick-or-treating. But that's a 15-minute show. I don't recall that they did any other Halloween shows. Yep, October 31, 1939. Silly me. <laughs> 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 what is that? I've, I've certainly had to have heard it, Walden. I can't sit here and <laughs> there's a show I hear. Um, what, <laughs> what did they do in the show? Well, that's the one when he and Teeny goes out and, you know, Gildas, where you had the Halloween party next door, and then... He and Teeny would go out and uh, try to flatten the tires and go to sweet car or something like that. Okay, so uh, the 15-minute one is one of those, it's not a cookie cutter, but it's a spinoff on the same theme. There's, it, am I telling the truth that there's a 15-minute one? I don't know. You know more about, <laughs> you know, you know Phil McGee more than I do. You're the, you're the expert. So maybe, maybe this is the one I'm thinking of uh-huh. when he and, and Teeny go crawling around. There's, I would say there's a pretty good chance of it. Okay. All right. I, I, but, you know, I could be wrong. I will bet you a nickel. I'm into nickels lately. I'll bet there's a 15-minute show as well. Oh, hey, you're the expert. I'm just, you know, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't think there was an audience. I don't recall that there was an audience hey, for the one that I'm thinking of, so that would make it a 15-minute show because they didn't have the audience in those. By the way, for those filming and Molly, a brand new 40-show set just came out this week. Fibber McGee Mall shows, which I've never seen before. Really? For a low price of seventeen dollars and ninety-five cents. What did they get for seventeen dollars and ninety-five cents? Uh, Ray Archives released another forty sets of the uh, fifteen-minute nineteen fifty-five Fibber McGee Mall shows, and they have dropped their prices all the way down to seventeen dollars. In fact, you can get the set for ninety-nine cents. You know, if you buy a few other items, you can get the Fibber McGee Mall set for ninety-nine cents. <laughs> I love to fill in there. Yeah, but. <laughs> well, but. Yeah, but. But anyway, Radio Archive, uh, I think dot com over there. But they just put out, they have 10 sets of Fibber McGee and Molly the 15th, and they just released the past week. Uh, the latest one, and I just got that Friday. So, so there. Well, then. Yes, my dear. Pick me. I have a question. Wave your hand. Wave your hand. My hand is up in the air. Oh, I see it. You you have a question? I do. October 31st, 1939 is in my files as the Wistful Vista Auto Show. Give me another date. Do, 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 <laughs> hold on, hold on. It's in your brain. I know it's in your brain. Maybe it's in his brain. We're not really quite sure. Oh, it's here. It's here. I'm coming with the fibro set. Do, 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 I see here. Okay. Um, the one that I'm thinking of is a 1953 show, Trick or Treating with Teeny. It's on October 30th, 1950. That's uh, what I uh, had in my brain. Well, that's a good brain to have. You have a good brain. At least I remembered one. If there are two, I don't know about the second one, but I'm so proud of myself. I remembered one. Okay, let's see here. 
Alright, yeah, I have October 31, which is fast forward to the end of the tape here. Nothing like doing something, something live. You little mic. rascal, you have a tape, you can just, oh boy. Oh boy, I know. And you know what, uh, I don't know if you caught it, but Johnny was talking about Henry Aldrich. I missed that! And I'll tell you what, how you, how you missed it. But then I miss it, I was talking. I know, but I was listening. I didn't step in because I was trying to fix my microphone. Let's see here. Oh, he, he talked about Little Beaver. Uh-huh. But he talked... And that with Robert Blake was uh, Little Beaver Nothing on... Nothing could be easier than using this Let's famous floor polish. You simply put it on your floor, and in 20 minutes, the floor has gleaming, sparkling beauty. That's why Glow Coat is called self-polishing. It actually does the work itself. You can use Glow Coat on your painted and varnished wood floors, too. Get some from your dealer tomorrow. <laughs> October 31, 1939. We'll see what it is. Hold on. This, you might know, is the week of Wistful Vista's annual auto show. And, you might know, there are thousands of people attending. And two of them you might know, Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, well, okay, Patricia's right. Now, let me look on the 24th. Let's see what this one's all about. We're still in 1939? Yep. Let's look at the 24th. In the familiar red and yellow. Let's see what it is on the back side here. Big Fibber folder in iTunes and just do a Halloween search. Do, 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 Halloween do. party at Gildersleeve's house. Is that the one you're talking uh -huh. about? Let's see here. Halloween party at Gildersleeve is October 24th, 1939. Okay, let's see. Ah, oh, baby, does this bed feel good to Papa? Oh, say. <laughs> Remind me to tell you sometime about the trick I pulled on Gildersleeve tonight, Molly. <laughs> it was a peach. Oh, what a party that was. Oh, good night, Molly. Good night, dear. So we rewind a little bit, but that's the show. See? This is the show, um, the one that you're you're playing there, the Halloween party at Gildersleeve's house. Uh-huh. I don't know about the beginning of it, but, uh, oh, I know. Um, he and Teeny soaked Gildersleeve's car windows. That's right. Let's see where, where we are here. And I would live life Well, we'll have to go now. Well, Gildersleeve. well, I'm sorry you folks have to leave so early, but I'm mighty glad you could come over. Oh, thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve. My, my, it's uh, been a simply marvelous party. Ah, yeah, you betcha, Throcky, old man. You sure know how to throw a party. Oh, it was lovely. Say goodnight to Mrs. Gildersleeve for me. Yeah, me too, Gildersleeve. She's a wonderful cook, that wife of yours. Tell her how we had a terrific time tonight. I certainly will. I'm sorry she was so busy in the kitchen she couldn't meet any of you folks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
But you must come over again sometime. Oh, uh, could I have my chauffeur drop you somewhere, Mrs. McGee? Oh, no, thank you, Mrs. Uppington. We just live next door. Well, good night. We've had a wonderful time, Mr. Gildersleeve. Good night. Yeah, good night, Gildersleeve. Good night, Mrs. McGee. Good night, Pipper. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Did this sound familiar, Patricia? It does, but he and Teeny didn't do it. He did it. Ah. He soaked the, uh, the windows on Gildersleeve's car. Then he and Molly go to bed. They're going to sleep, and Gildersleeve is at the front door banging. And it turns out that her so Boy, what a lousy party. <laughs> Heavenly day. <laughs> Whoever told them they knew how to entertain. Yeah. Old Gildersleeve and his expensive cigars. Look at him. Dry as a bone. All ten of them. <laughs> well, I'm going right up to bed, dearie. I'm tired. Yeah. Well, I'm coming up, too. So they're, they're going to bed. They're going to bed, and Gildersleeve is going to come pounding on the door. And Fibber is going to discover that he didn't soap up Gildersleeve's car windows. He wound up soaping his own. So we'll see what happened here. Okay, now, yeah, now you're testing my memory. We'll have to see if I'm right here. All right. I think I'll get her a crystal eight ball for Christmas. <laughs> now, don't drop your shoes there on the floor, right where somebody will stumble over them. Well, they're on my side of the bed. You notice uh, Molly has still an Irish brogue, pretty heavy Irish brogue at the time. You notice that? Yes, she did right through almost to the end of 1940. She started easing off on it in 1941-ish, around that time. Okay. <laughs> they were like limp sandpaper. <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey, you scare me with all that cold cream on your face, Molly. Why didn't you wear that mask to the party? <laughs> Imagine them old fogies playing post office at their age. <laughs> there ain't one of them with sufficient postage. <laughs> yeah, what time will I set the clock for? Oh, not too early, dearie. I'll want to sleep a while in the morning. Yeah, me too, after a night like that. That ghost story of Mr. Wilcox. Yeah. I'll bet the sponsor haunts him. The way those people ate. Did you see the old timer? He was chasing the hammer on like an actor's agent. <laughs> hey, this, this underwear don't fit as good as it did a few years ago, Molly. It doesn't? It's getting a little snug around the ankles. <laughs> Where's my pajamas? Oh, here they are. Hang up your pants. Oh, I'll hang them up in the morning. <laughs> oh, baby, does this bed feel good to Papa? Oh, say, <laughs> remind me to tell you sometime about the trick I pulled on Gildersleeve tonight, Molly. <laughs> it was a peach. Oh, what a party that was. Oh, good night, Molly. Good night, dearie. <sighs> Oh, I wonder who that is at this time of night. 79 Wistful Vista, Molly McGee speaking. <laughs> who? Oh, oh, yes. Oh, well, that was real thoughtful of you. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. Thank you so much. 
Yes, we had a simply wonderful time. Yes. Good night. McGee, that was Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, what'd that stuffed shirt want? Well, he really did you a favor. Hmm? He said he forgot to tell you while you were over there. Forgot to tell me what? Well, his car was downtown being repaired, yes. and he saw our standing in the alley, and he was afraid the Halloween pranksters would hurt it, so he put it in his own garage. That was nice of him. Maybe he ain't such a bad... What? What, my own car? I let the air out of my own car! There we go. Ah, Joe. Missed three quarters all the way around. <laughs> I did he too. He let the air out of the tires. He did soak the windows, but he wound. He had wound up doing his own instead of Gildersleeve's. Now, you know, interesting. They were talking about uh, post office, and I, I, I know that's a kissing game, but I have no idea how they played it. I guess it's something to do with a closet, I guess. But that's about all I know. I guess it must be similar to spinning the bottle. You know what they? It's a, yeah, it's a kissing game. Oh, gosh, I, and I don't have any idea how it's played. Yeah. Has to do with postage. I don't know. I don't know. Bring me down a little bit. All right, we'll do that. Now, after I have a live microphone, now Patricia can hear me. That's good. <laughs> right, boy. That's can she good. hear you? <laughs> oh dear. Oh, that's better. That's good. There you are. I'm here. Yeah. So I'm rewinding that tape that way. If we use it, we have it handy. So. So now I now I have to send you the 15 minute show, right? Sure. I, I probably have it somewhere. You probably have it somewhere, sure. Somewhere. It does take Teeny out knocking over garbage cans. Uh-huh. I, I do know. have, yeah, I do have the, um, if it's 53, then I got it, probably. Yeah. Probably. Anyway, I'll put this away. Good old Walden. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's Always finding stuff for us. Oh, I know. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. We have trivia questions tonight. I have Walden's trivia question tonight. Do 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 do. I think you're going to know this one, but it's sort of the theme, you know. Uh, yeah. And you know what, folks? We might play a show right away anyway. So if you want to wait till if you want to get a some helping hand. Okay. On stuff, we can do that too. So whatever Patricia wants to do, just up to you. Well, I think we ought to make Walden a little bit nervous about his question, and we'll play the show first. Um, and we'll probably Walden won't come back, but Patricia will be here, so that's okay. What? Say <laughs> <Hey>, what? <laughs> Wait, what? 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 Well, you should be nervous. Oh. Yeah, but if you don't come back, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> you are the man with the buttons and dials. Oh, that's true. Yes, yes. That's I mean, it's true. like sitting in an airplane, and every and people say, well, when it's your time to go, you go. I just don't want to be sitting next to the guy in an airplane whose turn it is, you know? That's uh, true. So it, this is the same thing. If you go, I go. We're a team. <laughs> team, right? Yeah. <laughs> like frickin' frack. Yeah. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the really neat things when people call in later um, for trivia or to say hi, I have a whole list of shows that either have never been asked for or have rarely been asked for and certainly not recently. So I'll go over that list, and that's in addition to everything but... I found a new set of Have Gun, Will Travel 
that is superior quality to what I had in my files. So I thought that was pretty nifty. Good. Did you come up with the uh, three audition shows? Oh, I didn't look. I just was so very happy that I found <laughs> them. I don't think so. I may have them in my old file. Heaven help me. I think I dumped it. That's okay. Oh, dear. All right. Now, see, you're going to make me go out and look? No, no, just asking a little simple question. Well, <laughs> it was a yes-no question. Okay, uh -huh. you're not going to amplify on it. No, it just, it just was hacking. Three, three auditions, does that mean three different people? Uh-huh, three audition people uh, applied uh, for Powhatan. Who were the other two? I think I, ha three. I, I think I have it in my file. Let me go look. Well, you. Walden's got instant... <laughs> I mean, it's like um, he can he can just reach out and touch. He's got everything there. I have an idea. Can I show you Johnny Matheson, and I'll go pull up the, uh, the audition for you? Okay. So here we go. That doesn't sound like Johnny Mathis. Oh, Walden. You put the Johnny Mathis CD away. No wonder. You know, I don't wonder. No wonder. You know, I tell you. These, 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 don't know what they're doing. Like me. Uh, I promise a, a song, and I'm going to play a song, Patricia. You know that? I, I know. If you promise, you do something. Uh -huh. I know you do. Uh-huh. You're as good as your word. Sometimes you can't find your word, but it's... Good. Good. Yeah, because I want to get this. I want to. I thought you might enjoy hearing the the audition. The are ten minutes in three three five minute increments. So here is Johnny Mathis, everybody. We'll be right back. Crazy. 